What's up, Fight Fan? You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Sunday, February 19th, 2023, and this week's episode, Blanchfield enters in cold blood. We'll talk about last night's UFC event, UFC Vegas 69, and the flyweight bout between Jessica Andrade and Aaron Blanchfield. We'll talk about the latest in MMA news. Bellator returns to Hawaii this April with a very exciting doubleheader. We'll talk about the latest details to emerge in the aftermath of Islam Mahachev's victory over Alexander Volkanovsky. And we'll touch on the PFL announcing the official season opener coming this April as well. And we'll cap it off by talking about this coming Saturday's UFC event. Nikita Krylov taking on Ryan Spann. My name is Gabriel Gonzalez, and I am joined by my co-host, Natalie Zamudio. Double G, what's going on? Is uh, Let me see. I got nothing. Anything exciting happened this weekend for you? Man, it's just a lot of the usual. You know, the, the, the grind just never stops. Um, You know what? I, I'm looking forward to the NBA All-Star game tonight. I'm looking forward okay. to The Last of Us back on my TV on Sunday tonight. Dude. I'm caught up now. Okay. Was, okay. All so right. So good, right? We get you know violence what? on Saturdays and Sundays now. I know the episode with um, Ron Swanson. I don't know if you ever watched Parks yes. and Rec. I didn't like that episode. <laughs> I really? Think, I thought it, yeah, man. I thought it was way too dragged out. I felt like they could have been way more efficient with their storytelling for that particular. You wanted you to know. watch The Last of Us, not This Is Us. Yeah, thank you, thank you, Wordsmith over here. Uh, exactly, and I, I'm happy to see you know the love story. That was fine. It's just too long. Like I was like, can we get back to the main characters? I I wrote out the whole thing in my mind how they should have done it. So when you have a spare moment, I'll tell you. I'll tell you all about it. We will but, recap it after the show. But no, I yeah, get exactly. you. I get what you're the saying. Episodes after that, I'm all in. So yeah. All right. Well, you know who is the main character this weekend? Aaron Blanchfield. Okay. To give me a beautiful segue. Um, I, I gotta say, uh, the fight played out... Uh, I know I predicted, I believe it was a second or third round finish, like, on the ground. Uh, to be quite honest, that fight played out very differently than I thought it would. Um, if you had told me going into it that Jessica Andrade would get as many fists-to-face as she did on Aaron and, she, and still lose, particularly as early as she did... I would not have believed you. I, I was really, um, for one, I was impressed with Aaron's uh, just spatial awareness. She did such a good job. Reach, timing, get in and out. I will say it felt very, it almost felt like an instructional video. What do you do when you deal with someone who's just kind of looking to, you know, just short flurries, but isn't looking to, you know, stick and move and flow and all of this other stuff like you see some of the other high-level strikers do and I thought that Aaron you know was it the most beautiful oh my gosh like best striking since Joanna and Rose Namajunas no but it was very effective I was very impressed with her ability to get out of the way of a lot of those flurries I was impressed with her ability to just cut Jessica's combination short um there's one thing I will say I was surprised by, to have that kind of effectiveness, but then she couldn't turn them into takedowns until the second round. Now, she only needed one, but my point is, I was just very impressed with her ability to overcome a lot of the challenges that she met out there. 
Jessica, she kind of reminded you why she's still dangerous. She kind of kept coming after Aaron. Those punches and bunches, you know, Aaron, I think she just kind of kept finding herself a few times just like, oh, you know, like, like she's still coming at me. Like, you know, she'd take a shot, but then it's still coming and she kind of just had to stop, reset, hold her, create space again. But overall, I was just very impressed. Um, the finish is self-explanatory. Gets on the ground, immediately transitions to side control, immediately transitions, takes the back, sinks in the arm. That's all she wrote. Uh, she admitted she felt like she had a deep before Jessica knew what she had to do. And really just very impressive. Um, not going to give uh, you know sour lemons because I do have a few thoughts it could have been just a little bit sweeter, but let me toss it to you. What did you think? I was extremely impressed. You know, when she came out and, and derailed Molly McCann's momentum and was so composed in victory, she really she really does, you know, epitomize cold-blooded, right? Just so calm, so cool, efficient, and deadly. With this fight, I picked Andrade. You wide, uh, wisely double uh, Mystic, uh, Mystic, Mystic G. I'll call you. <laughs> Thank um, you. You picked it, and you were spot. You know, as far as her victory, you're spot on. So, what? Look, can you remind me first before I jump dig in? How much time did Andrade have, like from from when Tyler pulled out to her accepting and, and this being all done? About probably seven to eight days. Yeah, technically it, less if you can. If you think she didn't really train way in day to fight night. Yeah. And, you know, we're singing her praises, man. There's there's Andrade being that gangster, right? It seems like she really just thought, I'm going to be able to to bully her, dominate her, hurt her with my hands. It doesn't seem like Andrade or her team watched any footage of Blanchfield. It, it felt like they didn't know what they were getting into. Um, because if... We've seen Andrade be tactical. She's done it against Nama Yunus in, in the second fight. Um, and many other times, I just cannot think of, of it. Now, do we do know her as a blitzer and a brawler? Yeah. But she can be tactical, and I felt I feel that if she had just taken a little bit of time, taken a step back to really understand her opponent, and as much as time as you can, you know, five days, right? You can still do that, though. There's, you know, dedicate a few hours on, on YouTube. Because it felt like she just went in there and thought she could finish the job fast and lost focus. She looked better in round two at the very, very beginning. But then, of course, Blanchfield took advantage of the, the um, slower pressure. I think Andrade wanted to take her time and find her shots. But in doing so, Blanchfield capitalized, took her down, and, and as we saw, you know, secured the choke before even locking up the legs, the body lock. So Andrade was... I think reacting very emotionally in round one. She was surprised to get hit with the shots that she got hit with, surprised to see Blanchfield survive her own, you know, her onslaught, her offense. She started doing the arm swinging, the chasing, and Blanchfield stayed composed, man. I was so impressed with her. I don't know what this does to Entourage. We talked about it last week. It's a win-win for her because she's stepping up, helping the UFC. They love that. You know, you get somebody out of a, you get the UFC out of a jam, by, by saying, but you know, by living up to the anytime, any place, anywhere code, Dana White loves it. Okay, but she got soundly beated. Beat. She got soundly beat. She got soundly defeated. It wasn't a beat down by any means. She was throwing punches too. It's just that Blanchfield has a strong chin. She's 23, young, hungry, strong. 
all that now at the end of the fight, Blanchfield's talking about, you know, think about how wild and free and gutsy you were at 23. <laughs> sure, I'll take Shevchenko Grasso winner. Why not, right? From what I've seen, she could hold her own. I don't think she could beat Shevchenko. I don't know how she'd do against Grasso. But I like the the guts, the balls on her to, to, to go ahead and ask the, for it. The moxie, the so moxie, to speak. The moxie, yes, of course. Yeah, I mean, so to, to answer real quick for Andraj, um, look, she got a big contract. She got paid. You got to think UFC would have just went ahead and said, yeah, whenever you're ready, Jung Wei Li's ready, we'll just move forward and get it done. Now, obviously, uh, I'll be honest, uh, the second biggest winner coming out of Saturday was probably Amanda Lemos. Um, depending on when Zhang Wei Li comes back, Lemos probably sneaks back in there. You could still do Jessica, but now you have that issue. You kind of got to ask like, hey, let's let's not talk about what we saw at flyweight. Let's focus on strawweight. But then we're probably also going to talk to about what you did to Lauren Murphy at flyweight, which is like, okay, you know, now, unfortunately, we have a bit of that issue, right? Yeah. And yeah. now, does this bumper back too far? No. For example, let's say, for whatever reason, Wei Li's taking some time off. Uh, Jessica could easily get back in there, get another win, and we just, hey, she took the fight with Aaron on one week notice, came back, full camp, got a win over someone else, let's get the ball back rolling could easily happen i don't expect it to because i feel like just simply uh way lee's going to be ready before they would do that but okay so um yeah that's where we're at with andrage i don't think she goes too far back i think that the ufc and matchmakers acknowledged the position she was in when she did this that being said you got to win your next fight now could it be a title shot maybe not guaranteed as it was had she won on saturday but you know, once again, she took the risk. She went out there to bang. Um, I watched the Murphy fight back, ironically, today. And, you know, one, Jessica still looked in good shape. Maybe not quite, you know, like, look, I get it. Five days notice. Probably wasn't expecting another flyweight bout, if mm-hmm. we're being honest. Maybe not quite as dialed in, but she was not out of shape. She went out there perfectly capable of winning the fight. And she got beaten by the better woman you know, who had a full camp, a little bit bigger, etc. You know, it happened. Now, with Aaron Blanchfield, I think the biggest thing and why I kind of prefaced it before I tossed it to you, had she done this to Tyler Santos, I would have said, have her there cage side in two weeks. She could go mm-hmm. home or she could stay in Vegas. And I would have said, definitely, you know, I know Manon Fiore's on a great win streak. Aaron Blanchfield just bumped her out of line. Instead, I will say that I almost feel like now Aaron does need a Tyla or a Manon just because one week notice, someone who had her eyes on straw weight, not fly weight in Jessica. Could she still get the next title shot? Absolutely. But I feel like all the things we were ready to say, we maybe felt like, okay, you know, not quite yet. You got it over someone who was on short notice as opposed to the let's just say it, the woman who looked like she was on her way to upsetting Valentina, who still took Valentina to the limit and would have been the most recent title challenger, et cetera, et cetera. So I love what I saw from Erin. She's on a great run. She's 
easily the closest we have seen in a long time since maybe Rory McDonald to being that quote like youngest you know champion since John Jones I think technically speaking she would need to win the title this year to beat Jones's record I, I can't remember when Aaron's birthday is but she kind of needs the calendar to go perfectly for her oh. to break it that being said I mean we talked about it with Usman Nurmagomedov and Bellator with the level of the game today, it is so hard for a younger person to reach contendership and honestly take out some top-level guys or girls and actually win the belt under 25. Just because of how much talent and physical attributes so many of the guys have, you know, who are veterans in the game. But that being said, I love what I saw from Aaron. She clearly is one just like, hey, I'm just kind of here to handle business and you know, all of her answers in, like, a lot of interviews, it's not that, you know, she seems like a perfectly nice girl, but it's all, like, right to the point. Right, yeah. And I'm efficient. like, all right, hey, and I'll, I'll be honest, I probably would talk like that, too, if I was a UFC fighter, if we're being honest. Yeah. I'm not Conor McGregor. I, a lot of us probably wish we were. It would probably be a lot of fun, but no, she was just very, like, straight to it, and I respect it. I do think all business, she's a very live contender in any of these fights. Valentina, Alexa, Manon, but I do think, long story short, she's going to need one more before she gets that uh, gets the shot at the title. The calendar could help her and she gets bumped right into it, but my heart is telling me she's going to need that one more big one, maybe on a pay-per-view card, and then she's going she's gonna to be in the, officially in the next girl up. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, it's, it's a completely correct perspective to look at Andrade as okay it's a big victory she's a big name but you know Andrade is trying to get a fight with a you know just short short notice and smaller yeah exactly she's trying to get a fight at 115 that's what that's what that's her goal so she really was doing a favor right and not for nothing she landed shots she she bruised up Aaron Blanchfield's face it's great experience for Blanchfield so you know win-win for both fighters and yeah, Blanchfield. Like I said, uh, I like the, the the better the PG version that you use, the PG word that you use, Moxie. I like the Moxie on this kid, on this fighter. Excuse me. And um, I, I I agree. You know, a fight, maybe one more fight left before she can really be in that conversation. But if she wants to stay ready, if she wants to start, you know, mouthing off on Twitter saying, "I'm ready, I'm ready." You know, there's a path for her to, to be right there in case something happens um, for Tegrasso, Shevchenko. I mean, it's unlikely. What I mean is if she wants to play that game, she's in a position now where she can play it effectively and, and see results. That's all. Can you imagine if, like, Alexa can't make it and Aaron just turns his back around in two weeks? <laughs> Bro. Yes. I'm saying, <laughs> she can, like, if, I'm saying, look, if she wants to take turn heel, I guess, or take that route, it's right there for the taking, if she wants to. But as you pointed out in her interview, she's like stoic, calm, still. It's not her style. But she's done something now where she could start exploiting things like that, if she wanted to. That's all. No, for sure. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Next fight is big. Title eliminator, title shot, for sure. But um, yeah, uh, been a minute since we've had a prospect kind of complete the route, so to speak, you know. Um, at this young age, even Sean O'Malley, you know, took a little break, you know, not quite that young kid we saw in season one of a uh, contender series. So mm-hmm. 
to have someone like Aaron, you know, it, it's very refreshing. And I think people, you know, it's kind of the thing, like, are you actually going to be the next big thing? Like, oh, my gosh, you know, we're watching it, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, there's a fair level of excitement. I'll give it that. Um, yeah, look, obviously, you know, it got through a nice Saturday night of fights. But the week actually had a... The week was kind of a little all over the place. And so I'll talk with probably the bigger news in terms of announcements. Bellator announces the double header, or I'll say double feature in Hawaii, April 21st, April 22nd, night one. Um, I have to double check this, but I believe it's another, you know, veterans card, essentially, like right, they right, did right. last year. Uh, former Marine Liz Carmouche looks to take on UFC and Ultimate Fighter veteran Deanna Bennett. This is a rematch, by the way, of a fight I think they had in Carmucha's Bellator debut, it might have been. So they're running that one back. Bennett gets the shot at the flyweight belt. On the same night, uh, UFC veteran Sarah McMahon makes her promotional debut against former title challenger Arlene Blanco. McMahon is moving up to featherweight after fighting for the title and everything else at Bantamweight in the UFC. And then on night two, the Grand Prix final... Rafion Stotts, Patchy Mix, Alimale McFarlane, the Queen of Hawaii, taking on Con- Con- ah, Kana Watanabe. What are your thoughts? Well, I love the Hawaii Bellator cards. It's uh, you know, brings back fond memories for me, having actually been there, um, and like in the same hotel where all the fighters were staying when I went to go see a fight. So this gets me pretty excited. Uh, I, I uh, oh yeah, obviously I'm not going to be there because. <laughs> I, I'm not going to fly to Hawaii by myself, but maybe I should. Um, in any case, this is fun, is what it is. It's always fun. The crowd turns out. They turn up. They turn out. When you're there, everybody is a fan of MMA. They're shouting at every fight, every fighter, you know, the, the way you do when you watch a fight you really care about. Um, from my experience, everyone's shouting nonstop at everything because they're really into into the combat sports that they're seeing. Ali Malay, of course, yeah, the queen of Hawaii, putting on a, a show before she even steps into the cage with her creative walkout routines. She always does something really amazing. So this is awesome. Look, you don't even, it almost doesn't matter who you put on these cards as long as Ali Malay's there um, because it's just a really electric setting, a really electric scene. So I'm excited for this. Um, Sarah McMahon, I didn't realize that she had signed with Bellator. I'm happy that she's there because I've always really liked her. She's a hard worker. She's really, a really good fighter, but could never, you know, obviously she fought Ronda Rousey, but could never really get anywhere, um, get into the right gear after that. You know, win, loss here, win, and she's just so polite and so respectful that she never popped. And so I think Bellator is a good place for her. 145, I don't remember how tall she is, but I think that could be a little bit of a challenge for her. I know she's very muscular and strong, but I think she's also on the shorter side. Maybe you have to correct me if I'm wrong there. Um, but that's a good fight. That's a good fight. And, like, it's clearly, you know, the ladies are the big names here at this Bellator um, Hawaii card. And um, that's it, man. I mean... If you can snag yourself a ticket, bro, I highly recommend it. Right, right. No, I, I think that the biggest thing um, looking at it with uh, Bennett is just um, who am I trying to compare to? It, it's kind of like, oh, my gosh, I am blanking on a name. 
Um, the, Chris Cyborg, when she fought, uh, she had fought the girl in UFC and then she fought her in Bellator. Do you remember? Oh Felicia, my gosh. No, not Felicia Spencer. Uh, not Spence. Do, 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 do. What is that? Irish? Some kind of Irish? No, name? no, 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 no. Uh, Leslie Smith. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, it, okay. it kind of feels like that is that, um, you know, Deanna is just in that kind of vein. It's like, okay, you know, like now can you overcome this person who did it? And maybe you took a longer, more workmanlike path to get back to it and have your shot at it. So I think that's, you know, is it like a Cinderella story? And then for Sarah McMahon, yeah, uh, you know, making that professional, you know, promotional debut. I think the biggest thing is that she had that really big start. Remember, she came in, she was the more decorated Olympian. Yeah, when silver she Ronda. She yeah. won a silver, Ronda had a bronze. Um, Sarah was undefeated going into it. And then, you know, she runs into some people you might have heard of, like Misha Tate and Amanda Nunes. And then in more recent years, you know, Ketlin, Marion Renault, Juliana Pena... And so a little bit of an up and down going on. She did sign with Bellator coming off a win. You know, I think that that's maybe a thing people are sleeping on. She beat Carl Rosa. But, um, yeah, I think that if you look at where she was at in UFC, probably middle of the pack right about now, you go into Bellator, you know, Yes, you're fighting a former title challenger, but my point is more immediate opportunity at 145, particularly at this juncture, you know. Is Cyborg going to stay? Could Cyborg leave? And then in that vacuum, you know, UFC veteran, can you leap right back into it and maybe you're just a fight or two away from fighting for a belt? Which at 35, even in Amanda Nunes' Bantamway division, probably still was a ways off. And for Sarah McMahon, you know, veteran... Not exactly uh, Aaron Blanchfield over here right now. I think that opportunity for immediate results. I mean, she's 42 years of age. Yeah, I, I think that's just what it is from a business perspective. And then in terms of night two, I mean, I, what can you say about it? Uh, Stotts has done well in his last few fights. Obviously, Patchy Mixes look great. Um, Elima, I have to double check. This may be... Last fight or second to last fight on Alima's deal. And yeah. it's like, okay, you know. And, and we talked about it. In fact, I'm a little shocked. But you could have put them on night two and just gone Liz versus Alima. I think that their hope is that Alima wins, Liz wins, and they send Alima off with a title fight. What about you? Yeah, that, that would have been kind of epic to put them together in Hawaii um, you know they're very they've been very vocal about wanting to fight each other being happy to fight each other like it's it's more about respect as friends you know there's no animosity they're friends and they want to just be like yeah let's go like for fun almost but of course they're both going to be pushing to win I think that would have been great uh, but you know they have the reasons for not doing that I guess what Ali Malay has, sorry, she has won since the, she lost the belt, at least, or she, did she lose she, her? So remember, she lost the belt, she was out for a year, lost her comeback, won her last one. She won the last one, okay, so, 
you know, you could say, MMA math, she doesn't deserve a title shot, except some divisions, some promotions, you kind of, you know, work around things like that when you're a big enough name and a former champion. Alima is both, and there's a history. Um, so I would have liked to have seen them fight in Hawaii just because that's that's freaking awesome. But maybe they wanted to spread the wealth, right? Carmouche is a name. Alimale is a name, too, obviously bigger. And maybe they wanted Carmouche, the veteran, you know, literally MMA veteran and United States veteran, um, to, to do the Friday card. And, and that way they can attract more, more folks uh, for both nights. I think my biggest thing about it is just that um, Bellator... Uh, Bellator has done this a few times. You kind of feel like they'll kind of just strike while the iron is hot and mm -hmm. they'll elect, you know, for different reasons to kind of slowly build someone up instead. And um, I think with the Elimelay-Liz fight, even though it was right there, you got them both coming off victories. You know, I guess the, they kind of want a bit of the pageantry of just like that send-off fight for Elima in mm -hmm. her final fight. So it's like, okay. Or if this is the last fight on her contract, she might have just said, you know, I just don't want to leave Liz or Bellator in that position. I'm going to give it my all and we're going to, you know, take her belt, but then leave it there in the cage and do that to Bellator. I don't know. But uh, I guess that that's, long story short, that's just my theorizing. Obviously, only mm -hmm. they know, but you got to think if Liz and Alima get the win, they want to make that fight. It just kind of feels like... They would do kind of like they did for Fedor. They would give that to Alima and Liz. I get the feeling that she would just be cool with it to do that for her too. So there we are. There you go. Um, Stots and mix ready for it. Um, yeah, it's just a over, overall good night. Uh, that was fight announcements. Let's be honest. The early part of the week, it was just a lot of uh, there was a lot of conjecture about the use of IVs and like it seemed like suddenly everyone between Saturday night and about Tuesday suddenly had became an expert and so <laughs> the long story short Brett Okamoto reported on this a couple other outlets per USADA there's this misconception that IV you know receiving IV fluids is a, is banned in general um during like for a weight cut like after weigh-ins right it has now been clarified essentially administered by a medical professional so you can't just have your brother who knows how to do a <laughs> syringe put one in you by a medical professional you can receive up to 100 milliliters of iv fluid and even if it's for a weight cut to recover they can give that to you so that's probably the biggest thing. Now, there's been a lot of hearsay, read between the lines. Was it real? Was it fake? Ali Abdelaziz tweets out and apparently deletes that essentially IVs aren't illegal. So Islam didn't cheat. But he seemed to imply that Islam did took an IV, but he didn't cheat. Eugene Behrman is probably the only one from the city kickboxing and just that crew mm -hmm. who did a big interview. And when he was asked about it by Ariel Helwani, he did say, like, I kind of don't want to talk about it. But he said, essentially, he seemed to hint that Dan Hooker did have proof that something was taken. But 
also that they can't prove that it was the illegal amount or an illegal this. And so it just kind of felt like, well, you know, it's like something happened. That's the thing I got when I listened to him. It's like something happened, but we can't prove that it was something that broke the rules. Which, you know, if you can't prove it was more than 100 milliliters, which it doesn't seem like they're going to be able to, then all of this is really a moot point, right? So uh, what are your thoughts? What's your reaction? Thank you. Thank you uh, for that. Um, Honestly, man, like... What a waste of time. <laughs> you wanted the drama? Well, either. A little bit, could, didn't you? Yeah. It's like, well, yes, of course. When I saw that message, I was like, oh, okay, here we go, baby. Here we go. They're going to strip his belt. It's going to be a whole thing. And then it turned out to be nothing. And and if I'm Volk or Behrman, I'm talking to Dan Hooker and I'm like, bro, please chill out. Like, you can't just send stuff out to the internet like this. It creates a hubbub. It makes us look bad. It, make, it, it makes us look petty. Like, you know, okay, of course we know Alexander Volkanovsky's not walking around thinking like, oh, man, he cheated. Oh, I want to. No, he's not that kind of guy. But someone on your team does something foolish like that, and it starts creating noise that you don't need. Um, so I think if I'm the uh, city kickboxing guys, I'm think I'm saying to everybody like please don't comment on someone else's fight um, in a way that could affect the outcome. You know, after a fight's over, like just this is not our zone. Let's stay out of it. Um, unless Dan Hooker had like legitimate photographic evidence, a video, um, something that was undeniable, completely just scathing proof. But the way he handled it was silly, and what it did was, you know, it was just part of the news cycle, right? What, you know, that stuff happens all the time, but it, it was annoying. 100 milliliters, you double G, you probably know I had to look it up. It's like not even three and a half ounces. So I don't know how that, like, 100 milliliters of what? Like saline mixed into water, or what? what is... What are we talking about here? I mean, it could be like, you ever hear about those people who do like the IVs full of vitamins? Yeah. Like they're, like they're at Coachella and they're trying to like kind of recharge for night two and all that. I'd imagine that's what it is. I'd imagine it's two things. One, if it could be used to mask something else, right? And then two, if it's... Okay, they're trying to kind of, They don't want to encourage drastic weight cuts. So if you have someone who's like, oh, man, like if I cut this much, even if I make the weight, I'm not going to be able to recover the way I need to. But if you take an IV, you can do it. So I'm going to cut. I'm going to be that guy who tries to make 170, even though I am definitely an 85 er you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're trying to avoid that. And I think that's another part of why there's a limit. It's like, look, you could get a bit of help, but we're not trying to give you a cheat code so you can be that guy who weighs 200 you know 210 when you fight at 170 you know what i mean yeah um you know to use a dramatic one 45 to 55 might be a better example but you get my point um going back to like all this uh yeah you know and i saw the comment from islam he wants some kind of punishment for making the accusation and i'm like well now okay. where, where can we go with this it's like 
Even if you have a photo of Islam hooked up to an IV, you can't prove how much he took. He could have gotten, you know, one milliliter, not 100, and then it's like, well, can you prove it? Eh, eh, Alright, you know. I'm also not going to act like, you know, we're talking about... I know that science is really awesome. I mean, X amount of days later, if you don't have the blood drawn for whatever reason, could you still prove it? Probably not, and it's like, oh, well. Essentially, we have, it's like, well, even if you could prove it, where are we at? And then I heard this theory thrown out that if Volk knew, like, Hooker found out and told Volk before the fight, would Volk have said something? And then there's a theory, of course not, because then the fight is canceled and you don't get to fight for the title. And it's like, you know, steroids as opposed to rehydration... If you feel like you're going to beat him anyway, so it becomes a complicated thing, right? And I'm not saying that that did happen. My point is to say that, like, there's so many little things behind the scenes that could have really changed this narrative. But instead, we just don't really have, like, those facts. You know what I mean? I do. But I think if Volk was presented with that information in the locker room before the fight, he would have been like, nah, I'm still going to go out there and beat him. Exactly. Yeah, if he won, he would have been like, and by the way, I just beat a cheater. Drop, mic drop, you know? Yeah. So he's just not that kind of guy. Yeah, he's just too... He's too cool about a lot. Yeah, yeah. You know, he clearly, you know, picks up the food he's cooking and eats it every day. No, just kidding. Um, have you ever watched Cooking with Volk, his YouTube channel? No, I have not. I have not sat through it yet. I feel like I need to. The more that he goes through, I just feel like, you know... I don't know. I feel like it... He's low-key really doing his thing over there. But yeah, so that happens. I think, um, like like we said at last week's show, who do we see? When do we see them next? I think they both go back to their respective weight classes. Um, did you watch a lot of the talk coming out of Saturday? Like, not post-site press conferences, but like the, you know, the post-shows and the you know, the Monday morning analysis and all that. About Aaron Blanchfield? No, 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 uh, from Vulcanism. No, I did not. No, what did I miss? There was, like, so much talk about, well, who's pound for pound? Because Volk did, they kept Volk as ranked pound for pound number one by the UFC rankings, not, like, the general official, right? And Islam's still number two, and the whole point was, oh, who's... The, who takes the pound for pound, you know, et cetera, et cetera, right? And there was just so much talk about, well, who's number one? What makes the number one? How's this number one? And I'm like, I feel like we have never debated this so much. And, you know, I want to toss it to you. Do you find it surprising? Do you think it's a big deal at the end of the day? Who's actually like, oh, like you're considered the best fighter in the world right now on the on the chart, on the 1 to 10 chart. Yeah, I think it's crazy to be, um, how I say it? I think it's really challenging and unhelpful to be making that analysis at the end of every, you know, Saturday night uh, or every UFC pay-per-view or a big MMA event. Um, I feel like maybe at the end of every month you can do a review or every quarter, every three months. That makes a little bit more sense. Um because it's just too soon and I get it. You get excited and, and you want to start, you know, making your declarations in the, to the world. 
saying, I, you know, I think it's this and you're crazy for thinking it's the opposite. And okay, there's discourse and that's fun too. But uh, I prefer a little bit more patience. Let's take a, take a step back, let some more fights come down the line and then we can start talking. I, I'm, there was a boxing show on um, HBO, Jim Lampley show. Now I can't remember what it was called. Oh, geez. Not Jim Lampley. The other guy. Max Kellerman? No, the one that, the older gentleman that, um, oh, oh, I mean, it is Jim, no, it is Jim Lampley, it is Jim Lampley. <laughs> yeah. Um, I can't remember what his show was. It was excellent, an excellent boxing show, but Max Kellerman would be on it sometimes. And he would do the pound for pound boxing. The show was only once, it was a, was a monthly show. So he would do the pound for pound, um, you know, chat at the end of every episode, monthly. So I think that kind of cadence makes more sense. Monthly, quarterly, um, at the end of a fight that night, that weekend, it's a little too early. Unless something like ridiculously amazing happens, then you can say like, oh my goodness, this person with this victory just shook up the entire ranking system. That was not what happened with Islam uh, Volkanovsky. So a little too soon for me, but I get it, man. You get excited and you want to put your opinion out there and, and, and you know, just, just get a conversation going. Yeah, it kind of felt like people wanted to first take it a little bit. Yeah, and, um, for sure. There was a lot of talk about who's on the rankings panel, was this fixed? And I'm like, I don't know that people have ever truly cared about who's on the rankings panel. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you, do you know who makes up the UFC rankings? Which media members? I've looked it up. I've heard people talk about it and complain about it. And it's usually um, from um, entities that I do not read regularly that I've never heard of. Like, I don't see MMA fighting or MMA junkie on there. I believe Brett and John Morgan are on. Oh, they're on now. Megan okay. Anderson is on it. Megan but, Anderson? Uh, yes. The fighter? Uh, that, that's what I read. Um, okay. Maybe Mark Raimondi is on it. but okay. That sounds good. That sounds more legit than I remember it the last time I looked into it a few years ago. So here's the thing that people were putting out there. There are several outlets. Some are now defunct, but they're still listed. And then... Um, I guess, uh, so here's my biggest example. So uh, I remember it specifically, I can't remember which fighter, but I remember there was a guy, because there's always this talk like, oh, this fight was supposed to move me up the rankings. And then for whatever reason, before the fight, a fighter gets bumped down. So it's like they just made a lateral move. Mm -hmm. They're like, I didn't fight. They didn't fight. Nobody fought. So why are the rankings changing? And it's like, well, you know. No one said, once again, they're guidelines. They're not actual rules. Yeah. But I remember he said, like, who makes the rankings? And it was just this very awkward thing. Like, who are even? And it's like, it's us, the media. I'm not I'm not on the panel, but I, I'm 99% sure people who were on the panel were in the room. Mm-hmm. And no one spoke up. And it was like, they didn't want to, like, start the conversation. Of course not. And you don't want to like, be on the hook for your opinion. Yeah, and it's like, well, I, you know. Some other person, too, I think. Uh, Volkanovsky, I'm not going to drop his name. You guys could Google it, and I believe he owned up to it. But there was a particular MMA junkie reporter, and Volk even kind of called him out on it like you know everybody picked Max over me in the trilogy and et cetera, et cetera. and you know so I do think that the fighters sometimes get a little I, I, I get it they're 
like that you feel like maybe the media collectively is saying well because you never got in there you're affecting my ability to make money by making yeah. me number two when people pay more for number one uh, i don't know maybe there's a bit of that going on but when i saw all this with the rankings i was like okay you know like it, it is what it is like you either won or lost but I'll say this, like, oh, you're pound for pound number one right now. Are you the GOAT? Are you considered a GOAT? I mean, if you're Volk, if you're Islam, you know, and you're trying to get ahead of the Habibs and GSPs and Anderson Silvas, I feel like that's the thing you're chasing as opposed to, are you ranked one or number two of the guys right now? Does that make sense? Exactly. Yeah, so, so like, really having this conjecture, it kind of feels like it's a little, like, well, you know, like, they fought and they're still ranked here. Does it really change anything for them? I don't think so. I don't know that people are paying less for Volkanovsky or less for Islam that Volk lost or that Islam's still ranked number two. I really don't, so. Yeah, I don't think so. And, like, if you're someone like Volkanovsky, you're, you shouldn't be bothered by the, you know, the weekly monthly musings because you know you're like you said going for the goat status so just keep your eye on the prize and, and don't let i wouldn't let that conversation get in your mind too much those conversations but you know because he is that kind of guy he's gonna you know call you on it just for fun but he doesn't really care yeah i think um you ask him he's probably like ah, oh, you know like well like it's kind of like look at the end of the day you know I don't get paid more to be number one or number two on UFC's list. I get paid whether or not I won the fight. So yeah. he probably sees it that way. Um, still a little bit more going on before we talk about Saturday's fight. Uh, the PFL, they announced their first few events, but mostly people really focused in on night one. I believe it's on April 1st. So coming up a little less than a month and a half from now. But uh, the biggest, um, I guess, eye-opener... It's announced defending featherweight champion Brendan Loughnane taking on UFC veteran Marlon Moraes. And then light heavyweight champion Rob Wilkinson taking on Tiago Santos, um, who's also coming over from UFC. So just want to toss it to you. Just what are your thoughts on that? It's, it's fine. Look, look, I'm not like jumping out of my off my sofa to watch these fights, but I like... Um, you know, Marlon Moraes, is this his first? Did I miss second. his season? Second, okay. Remember, <laughs> he, he he fought the guy. He was doing well, and then he just got caught in the third, remember? Was it Stevie Ray? No. No, uh, Shaman Moraes. Okay. Oh, yes. At the okay. pay-per-view. Okay. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. So, like, I'm I'm going to sound like a, you know, a, a poser MMA fan and say, like, ah, the only one I really care about is the guy that came from the UFC and Marlon Moraes, Tiago Santos. Um, but I know Brendan, and, and well, I know Brendan is, you know, been making waves over there. He's, he's, you know, does puts on good fights. So, yes, it's interesting, but I'm not like, you know, I'm not tweeting about it. I'll just say that. So here's how I feel about it. One, I, I, I'll say objectively, I'm more perplexed at Marlon versus Brendan. I felt like. I don't know if you're just kind of thinking, you know, you're taking that Michael Chandler mentality. He's not here for a long time, just a good time. So yeah. just throw him in the biggest fights and, you know, 
either he can win him or he won't. It's like, okay. Um, I mean, I'm sure Marlon isn't saying, no, don't give me, like, don't give me the top guys. He's still putting in work and he'll take the opportunities handed to him. Um, but yeah, that being said, he's on a, but I don't even want to look at the number of the skid, but he's on it. Yeah. Um, so I see that I'm a little, like I said, I'm just a little perplexed, but okay. Um, Tiago versus Rob. I mean, you get a showcase either way. Uh, If Rob wins, he looks even more, you know, BMF, right? And then if Santos wins, well, you just put over your new signee that you locked into a contract with the win over the defending champion who still has a shot to get redemption later in the season. Okay. So those two things right there. I will say overall when I look at the PFL, and obviously, you know, the other weight classes are coming in and they're back in the mix. This is the first time that the season feels... I I, I just don't like this feeling of... They almost feel like two separate entities. And so we have a decent start to the season, defending champs, uh, good talent, good names. But I saw this and quite bluntly i'm like but where's the pay-per-view announcement where's the mma where's jake paul where's kayla harrison i found myself thinking about that rather than oh i'm hyped up for week one of pfl what about you yeah that that's that's probably what most people want and so are you disappointed do you think they haven't finalized those yet or they're waiting for this opening fight card to to announce the bigger the bigger names i mean for the record i don't think ufc has a fight card for july yet so i'm not saying that i expected pfl necessarily to have one what i will say is that we now there's the feeling like what are you getting most excited about from this promotion because pfl is not a week-to-week promotion they're on for a month they're off for two back for one close it out with another spread apart season and that works for them that's okay but I think that also leads to a bit of the interest level sometimes. It could be a little bit of a struggle. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's, look, there's the bigger, bigger, bigger names, and then there's everybody else. And so it's kind of like, well, you know, it, call me kinda, when when you have Kayla's, Kayla's date set. Also, it's kind of like Bellator with the tournament. I mean, yeah. sometimes it's like, oh, round one just got done in February. And it's like, okay. And then it's like, they don't fight again. Everyone's not back until july august and by that time i'm like it's been three or four months mm-hmm. I, you know you have some fans they'll tell you they forgot the tournament was going on they thought it was just fights and you know i think that's a real thing so with pfl i think the fact that now you're splitting attention while also having gaps i think that it feels more prominent now because you know there's something else you really want to focus on that they're they just haven't finalized yet but that's what everyone's waiting on. I think a lot of people may be like, is this like PFL contender series? Cause now they know about the Jake Paul stuff and he's going to bring this new set of eyeballs. So that's how I feel about this is that I feel my attention is just a little split and I really want to see some more. Yeah. I mean, I agree. They made some big, they made a lot of, they promised a lot for this season with, Kayla and Jake Paul and, you know, who's he going to fight and, and, you know, Anthony Pettis coming back for the pay-per-view portion. 
And yeah, we haven't heard any about anything about that. That's the downside of the PFL structure, which is, you know, you point out UFC hasn't announced their July yet. Well, that makes sense because we're not expecting them to open up. There is no opening day for them, right? They're just constantly going. They're like Disneyland. They're open 24, basically 24. Um, 24-7, yeah. Right? So announcements are rolling. Exciting things are constantly happening. There's always buzz. With PFL, it's like, oh, man, the season's going to start. And, oh, this is the first fight card. Okay. Uh, what else you got for us, right? And so because they're structured that way, then you have to reset your expectations to maybe match up more with a the bigger sports like MLB or I guess MLB, I don't know, or NBA, uh, NFL, I don't know if that even is a, the right comparison because they don't have big events like PFL does. They're not, how do I say it? They're not surprising you with matchups. You know what's going to happen <laughs> every season, right? You, you get the lineup at the start of the season. You know when the playoffs are. You know when the, the championship games are or game, NFL. So... Yeah, man, there's no real a solid comparison. And so PFL is kind of just like out in the ocean on a raft, firing signal flares, trying to get attention whenever they can. No, it, I, I agree with you. And I think I just want to see them handle this a little differently. I kind of want, I want it all to review. I don't want to be like we got half today and half later, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. But yeah, you know, I also, you know, for my own curiosity what is going on with kayla larissa pacheco like where are we at you know like what's the talk Uh, i kind of want to hear a little bit more about that and what their plans are there and then we'll go from there um to talk about it though we do have fights this saturday Uh, i'll say bluntly it's a very decent main event i know a lot of people are just kind of on deck for john jones next saturday rightfully so it's going to be one of the it could go off as one of the biggest sporting events of the year overall not just mma so i get it but this saturday nikita krilov ryan span light heavyweight action obviously span is coming off that very just once again nasty nasty knockout of dominic reyes nikita krilov first ufc main event coming off that victory he oh my gosh i blanked on it Alexander Gustafsson, if I'm not mistaken, um, back in July. I know I was there. I'm just... No, Volkan Uzdemir. My apologies. He fought one more. So he had the back-to-back. Stopped Gustafsson in July. Uh, bested Volkan Uzdemir in October in Abu Dhabi. Now first UFC main event. I think the biggest... Uh, my biggest breakdown, honestly, you have two very different guys who are very good at getting fist-to-face and putting bodies down. Nikita Krylov, very creative striker, long, lean, um, just uh, unorthodox, just knows how to use the art of eight limbs. Ryan Span, more compact, but just that really explosive power. You know, he's look, he's just built like a little tank, and when the cannon shoots and hits the target, there's detonation, there's explosiveness, and things just get destroyed. So I think that that just makes for a very fun stylistic matchup. Obviously, if you're Ryan, close that distance. Um, maybe get him down to the mat a little bit. Try to slow him down. Make him feel a little bit of that, you know, the full size and weight of everything. Nikita Krylov, he can grapple. But I think most people expect him, hey, keep this at long range. 
And then if there's no blatant openings, just work on creating space and not letting Ryan Span get close to you. What are your thoughts? Yeah, man, I'm with you. This is a, a fine, fun matchup. This is the kind of, these are the kind of main events that make for a good, you know, free Saturday night. I like Ryan Spann a lot in this fight. Um, I think he's going to be able to get the job done fast. You know, look, Dominic Reyes isn't the fighter he used to be, but that was an impressive win. Round one. Yanko Chalaba, okay, also also a really tough fight for for anyone. Finished him in round one. Um, I'm looking at his rate. You know, he lost to Anthony Smith, right? Last or September 2021, so it was a while ago. Misha Strykonov also defeated him in round one. Like this guy's coming in fast, hard, and and with mean intentions. So. I think he's going to be able uh, back up. I think he's going to enter the cage against Krylov with the same attitude. I don't think it's going to be as easy as it was against Dominic Reyes. Not by a long shot, but I think Span's still going to be able to get the job done. So I'm predicting round two TKO, Ryan Span. Okay, Ryan Span. Yes, sir. Ooh, I will see your Ryan Span. I am going to go fourth round just because I'm feeling like that. TKO for Nikita Krilov. Okay, okay. I don't know. I feel like he's just going to, you know, stick and move and get it done. That's what's, uh, that's what's just coming to me. But, um, yeah, we talked about it. The return of Tatiana Suarez. Yeah. Uh, I don't think co-main event. I think they're actually just relegated to the main card. Um, but, uh, I mean, high stakes for the flyweight division. I mean, we just talked about Aaron Blanchfield. I mean, Tatiana comes in, you imagine she could make a lot of waves or she could just say like, Hey, to be honest, I felt good, but I also felt like the difference at 25, I think it's time for me to recommit to 115 with the PI. Um, I think that that's going to be something to watch. Obviously Montana De La Rosa's, uh, very confident veteran, so I think it's going to be a lot to watch. But yeah, Tatiana coming back. I know you were very excited about that. I am too. Do you have anything else before we move on to next week? I'm just excited, like I was last week. There was so much talk about Tatiana when she was, you know, making her way through the um, the UFC the first time around. Her size, her power, her wrestling skills. So yeah, man, everyone's going to be looking to see. How good does she look? How quickly is she going to make an impact in the, you know, the top in the top uh, top ten, top five? And then next Saturday, uh, this little event you might have heard of—it's like a little indie show. It is UFC 285. <laughs> the return of John Jones, Cyril Gunn. Um, you know what? Let me phrase it this way: You know what we tend to talk about when we actually get to the previews? What is something you want to bring up about this event that we're probably not going to touch on next week when it's all said and done? Oh, boy. You got me. Um, I don't know, man. You first. I'm, I'm, a, I'm speechless. You know, okay. I, I think it's going to just be like, you're going to have to have like the most perfect set of circumstances to see the fight you really wanted with Jones and Ngannou. You're going to probably have to go into this one knowing that it's just not going to happen. And it is what it is. That being said, and this will maybe be like 
two weeks from now kind of show, you still have great fights. Like, if you do Cyril Stipe, Jones Stipe, and all these other guys who are coming up, Pavlovich, Spivak, you know, uh, Tui Vasa's still out there, Curtis Blade's still out there. Uh, all of that stuff, that could be very different, but I think my biggest thing about this is that you kind of got to enjoy it for what it is. It could be so self-contained, particularly if a certain result happens. So I think you just have to enjoy the hype one more time, enjoy a little bit of this and that. And if it turns out better than we imagined in the future, that's cool. But I think if you go in wanting all that on Saturday, you'll be disappointed. So I think it's kind of like, let's just enjoy it all now. Like, let's enjoy the all-star game now, even if the finals don't pop off. <laughs> I'll put it that way. To lowering expectations. Got it. <laughs> I mean, I like what that. about you? Do you talk lowering to me? energy. Honestly, I'm I'm like kind of, you know, I love me some hype. So I'm getting caught up in the hype. Like, Cyril Gon's not a hype man. He's not out there, you know, making noise, making a scene. But John Jones can do that enough for two. And so I'm just like, okay, what's what phony attitude is John Jones going to come out with? And when are we going to see the true colors shine? And then what I know. (laughs) And then, you know, what scandal is going to, going to, going to pop uh, Sunday morning or, you know, like that's just, that's just how I'm seeing this man. Was that too cold blooded? Was that too Aaron Blanchfield? (laughs) No, 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 no. I think Aaron would be very proud of you right about now. (laughs) They should be impressed. Mm-hmm. No, I, you know what? All right, I'm with it. You know, it, it, there's so much hype. There's a lot to get excited about. I think it's just like, hey, you kind of almost got to treat it. Uh, I'm going to just say it like this right up, right off the bat and send us home with it. You have to treat it like, you know what? We might get a one night only one more time, John Jones. I know that he's talking this and that, but you got to accept it might only be one night only we get goat john jones still coming into the cage if he takes an l if it doesn't look as good going back to 205 whatever so you kind of just got to enjoy like hey however this looks at least this week going into the cage he is still that dude from a few years ago he is still that guy who stopped shogun to become the youngest champion he is still the michael jordan of mma at least in Side the competition, maybe not global impact like pop culture. He is still that guy when that cage door closes, at least for one more night. And so enjoy it because who knows what's going to happen after. And I think that's my biggest thing. Okay. Yeah. X's and O's. We'll get into all that next week. Until then, guys, like, comment, subscribe. Have a good one.